another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, today on the Unicorns, we're talking all things fintech, open banking, personal budgeting, and the consumer data right. The market leader in this space is Frollo. Ben Ford is the head of growth at Frollo, and he joins me now. G'day, Ben. Welcome to the program. Lovely to be here, Justin. Always a pleasure to hear your dulcet tones. <laughs> All right. Very good. Okay, Ben, what is Frollo? Okay, so I'll try and give you as succinct an answer as I can, Justin, but there's a few elements to this, so please do bear with no me. No problem. Go for if it. If at any point you need to... Uh, Clarify, by all means, uh, let me know. So Frollo is a money management or personal financial management platform, a software platform. And it evolved and was developed with a simple aim, and I say simple, definitely not easy, to help people feel more engaged with their finances and ultimately feel better about money. And there's two ways that we um, perform this as a business. We have a a consumer-facing money management app that I think we'll talk a bit more about uh, as we go through this uh, conversation. But primarily, we've got a software platform that um, can be used on a B2B basis, so used by banks and other financial institutions, also other fintechs, to provide services to their customers in a way that might be quicker or, or speedier to market than they'd be able to develop themselves. So they would leverage our platform to deliver services to their end customers all around personal financial management, money management, and financial wellness. Okay. And and when did Frollo first get started? So, so this is an interesting story. So Frollo was founded in 2016. So in terms of startups or, or fintechs, it's a fairly nascent or, or sorry, a, a fairly sort of fast-paced story. But Frollo was founded by Gareth Gumley, our founder, who'd had a uh, roles in various different finance businesses over the years, but he'd certainly sort of become a bit disillusioned or felt there was a gap in the market for um, tools or services that would provide these money management tools to help people, like I say, feel better about money. And he set about delivering a personal financial management or a, a money management app to consumers. Now, I first came across Gareth in 2017. He was actually a, a customer of a business I was working for at the time. And at that point, there were, I think, two, possibly two and a half or, or three full-time staff working with him. And um, it was a, a small operation, and uh, he was trying to get customers onto the app. And you know, over the course of the next sort of two to three years, he really put the pedal to the metal and, and grew the business to the point where we're now... 45 to 50 people. Um, we've moved to a few different offices. We're no longer in the railway arches at North Sydney. And as you mentioned, we're um, going pretty well in um, the open banking space and also the money management space with a, a pretty healthy client roster. And so you, you've mentioned open banking there. What is open banking? Is there is there a simple definition for our listeners? I don't, I don't think anything's simple where open banking is concerned, but let me, let me have a go at it. Um, I mean, the objective or the premise uh, behind open banking is to really, I guess, legitimize and simplify the process of enabling a customer to own and share their data with who they want to share it with to achieve a better financial outcome. And I'll just sort of unpack that because that sounds a bit jargonistic perhaps. But essentially, the idea, as I say, or the premise behind open banking is really to move the ownership or the control of that data, a customer's data, from the financial institution, where often it's ring-fenced and it's kept heavily protected and it can be very hard to access um, in parts, 
and push that um, ownership back to a consumer so they can share their data with whoever they so choose in order to achieve better financial outcomes for themselves. I think that's probably as, as simple as I, I can put it. Is, it. is that what's known as the consumer data right? A- absolutely. So the legitimize or the legitimacy of it refers to the fact that actually legislation was required, the consumer data right, to actually force the banks or, or push the banks, or sorry, perhaps I should say encourage the banks to be forthcoming and, and share this data or share their, their customers' data with the customers to enable it to be on-shared. So um, we now have the consumer data right, which is actually mandated that all banks, all ADIs, as they're called in Australia, um, are now, um, as I say, mandated to push out their data or, or make their customer data available to their customers to be on shared to achieve um, better financial outcomes for that customer base. So, so Ben, in practical terms, what does what does that mean? If I'm if I'm a um, I don't know, looking for a home loan or looking for some um, activity through a lender. What what does having the consumer data right or open banking mean for me? That's a great question, Justin. It means it's, it's basically about removing friction from a range of different processes. So the, the lending process, which you, you called out there, is a really good one. So previously, and it really does sort of vary from institution to institution, but previously, mm-hmm. if you're asking your bank, you were banking with CBA, to give an example, yeah. and there was another bank that you wished to apply for a mortgage with, uh-huh. Um, that new bank that you're applying to would ask to see three months' worth of um, bank statements, maybe even six or 12 months, actually, for a mortgage. Yeah. And yeah. it could be potentially a really sort of tough um, process for you to actually get that data, acquire those That's statements. The paper trial. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so there's a huge amount of friction in that process. Um, and as such, that friction is very off-putting to customers. So there's what's called a very high drop-off rate which is the fall-off rate from you starting that process to completing it. So it might be that only 50% of people who are looking to achieve a a better rate on their mortgage, for example, actually complete the process and actually benefit from that better rate because Mm. before open banking, it was extremely hard and there were a lot of pain points and a lot of friction to facilitate the movement of those statements and ultimately you getting a new loan. Now, Mm. open banking mandates that the existing bank who you have the agreement with have to share that data at your behest to the new institution in a fairly timely manner, if not real-time manner, to enable you to get that new product and do it in a much more, um, I guess, precise, speedy, and frictionless way for all parties. So are you saying, if we use this example a little bit further, if I'd like to refinance a home loan and switch from uh, one bank to another, through open banking that technically should happen a lot faster, remove the friction and ensure that potentially that entire process is streamlined and made a lot quicker. Absolutely nailed it. So we're talking about potentially mortgage applications coming down from a a three to six month process potentially to a um, three to six week or even less. Um, and really what that does as a consumer is enables you, like you say, pull, pulls out all the friction and frustration and pain points. You get a better deal, but also you actually get to move on with your life quicker. Because yes. you know, for the large part as consumers, and one of the reasons that this friction is so off-putting is that we have a lot of other things going on in our life. And you know, our finances, for the most part, generally aren't that interesting. Um, they're time-consuming. They're slightly burdensome. They're very administrative or very heavy on the administrative load. So removing all of that 
just enables you as a consumer to, to get on with the important things in your life more quickly and with ultimately a better, a better financial outcome in terms of that lower rate, Justin, you're absolutely right. Because I think one of the reasons why people don't shop around or potentially swap, swap out providers, if we're talking about a home loan, is the paperwork, is the uh, administration back-end form filling that's, that's required, and, and often it's put into the too hard basket. So is this where Frollo is, is helping out and, and to make that process easier? Absolutely. And it's where the whole entire open banking regime is ultimately helping out. They, I mean, it's called the uh, lazy tax. There's a huge amount of research mm. on the, the lazy tax, which is effectively the cost uh, involved or the cost to consumers in not doing anything about their finances. So sticking with your current provider, paying a premium rate potentially, um, sticking with someone out of misguided loyalty because you've sort of banked with them since you were a child and you think they're giving you a good deal when perhaps they might not necessarily be giving you the best deal that's out there on the market. So lazy tax is, is probably a bit of a lazy term. I think probably inertia fee is, is a, a more apt sort of way to describe it. But just yeah. to give you an idea of the numbers there, Justin, you know, the lazy tax in Australia, I think there was a study um, commissioned by Queensland University of Technology and Heritage Bank, and they worked out yes. that um, the lazy tax, as they called it, cost Australians, cost uh, everyday Australians $11.6 billion a year. And that was the amount in additional fees that they were paying somewhat unnecessarily because there could be better deals out there if they, to your Stop point. Stop it. Yep. No, Stop absolutely it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think they found that the, I'm probably one was, of them. Mm. Absolutely, me too. So I think 89% of consumers surveyed did absolutely nothing with their finances for exactly the reasons that you, you mentioned. It seemed as being you know, too hard, too much friction, too difficult to make the change. I think the, those that do, the 11% that do actually make an effort to uh, shop around with their finances or maybe even just have the time or the know-how to do so or know where to look or perhaps have someone helping them with it, they save $2.5 billion a year mm. across Australian households. So the numbers really do stack up, but it's all those sort of incremental little things. You might have um, bank accounts where you're overpaying. You might have mortgages where you're overpaying, credit cards, but it also stretches into other household bills like utilities and, and telcos as well. And it's Probably just worth pointing out that one good thing about the consumer data right in Australia is it's not just limited to banking. It will cover those sectors as well. So going forward, you know, in three or four years time, there'll be the ability to switch across all of those things. And hopefully more of those households will not be paying that lazy tax or, or sorry, the inertia fee that we've just spoken about. Do you think there's a lot of general awareness at a you know, at a downstream basic punter consumer level about open banking, what it means for them and how it works? I would say absolutely not, if I'm completely yeah. honest. And I think there's mm. probably a huge amount of, of work to be done there in terms of educating the market, Justin. One thing I would say, yeah. though, is it's not necessarily all bad because if you think about it, to your point, the, the average consumer doesn't necessarily need to know about open banking. They just need to. That's right. Yeah, they don't need to know. What yeah. brings. So, you know, legislation inherently is um, can be fairly dry, and particularly for the average consumer, I'd imagine they don't have that much interest in legislative acts. I certainly speak to my family in the UK where open banking is probably 18 months to two, two years ahead of us. They have absolutely okay. no idea about open banking, but they might mm. be using in the background or they might have used open banking uh, services to switch mortgages, to remortgage, to move back. Without knowing about it. Mm. 
absolutely right. So, um, you know, in an ideal world, open banking would be neither seen nor heard. It would just be going on in the background. Um, They'd be presented with better offers. You'd be presented with the ability to switch. Apps like Follow and other apps would serve you up the latest deals. And then within the apps, once we move into um, what's called payment initiation, which is effectively open banking money movement, which is something that they do have in the UK, you'd almost get to this sort of nirvana of autonomous finance where things are happening in the background and you're kind of almost being not necessarily automatically moved, but you'd be presented with these offers and you'd be able to switch accounts with maybe five clicks in an app mm. to a better rate. So think of the friction that's removing. It's really you know, quite, um, quite exciting to think about what could be achieved with that, with that kind of thing. You mentioned before about the consumer app. And I think if I'm right, Frollo began when it started uh, as a personal budgeting finance consumer app. And obviously it still exists. So tell us about the app and how it works. Sure thing. So the, the, the app's absolutely great. And um, I think it's a great, there's, there's probably a bit of debate um, internally about whether Frollo uh, started out purely as a consumer app or the play was always for us to be a, a B2B no. software business. <laughs> yeah, okay, um, very good. And what you generally find is um, consumer apps and getting customers on board, particularly when there's no monetization in the app. So it's a completely free service, I should say. Mm -hmm. So what it does, it enables you to download the app. You can link all of your different bank accounts using open banking and other methods. So you can link your your bank accounts, you can link your investment accounts, you can link your superannuation accounts. So what you get is this holistic view of your finances. And we serve that up in the app. We provide various insights around your spending, various prompts as to whether you've been spending a bit too much going out to, to eat or whether you've been got some subscriptions coming up or helping people save for goals and all this kind of all this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, we get a lot of feedback from our customers. We've probably had about two hundred thousand app downloads as we stand today. And that gives us this really good feedback loop as to what people like, what they see value in. And then we pass that on to um, our customers in the, the B2B world. But one thing I would say, Justin, and you know, the ethos behind an app like this is really to, I guess, make consumers aware of their finances, perhaps help people um, who might have their head in the sand a little bit, a little bit overwhelmed by debt, a little bit overwhelmed mm. by credit cards and things like that, to get visibility of their finances and start becoming engaged with it. Because what we see, particularly within the app, um, you know, when someone signs up and uses the app, generally within six months, we see a, a reduction in their debts, particularly their credit card debts. So we're able okay. to track all of this yeah. information. Um, mm-hmm. Within three or four months, their savings have generally gone up by in excess of $1,000. Mm-hmm. And um, overall, in the life of the app, we've had $200 million in active savings goals been achieved during the time. This is collectively across the entire base, but during the time that people have been, been using the app. So it sort of really supports the theory that if you do provide tools, and this could apply to banks, fintechs, mutuals as well, if you provide tools to your customers that help them get aware of their finances and get engaged with it, it does lead to better financial outcomes. And you know, that's, uh, that's what we're all about. And Ben, do you find that it's like, um, obviously, once you set up your profile in the app that people are checking it all the time? Or is it sort of a set and forget sort of thing? What's what's the interaction and engagement from the people who are using the app? It, it sort of it does tend to tend to vary. You get power users who are who are hyper engaged, and you, you do get some people who just want to get a, a look at their finances and maybe dip into the app once a month or something like that to, okay. to see what's yeah. changed. Yeah. 
One thing that we do have and that's proved really, really useful is this um, insights and message board. So once you do sign up to the app, every time you log into it, you get presented with a series of messages, nudges and prompts, providing you insights about your spending um, and tips and tricks to um, get more out of the app. And we find that that almost becomes like a like, like I say, like a message board that um, prompts engagement and sort of reminds people that they might need to take a few extra steps to um, get the ultimate utility from the app. What are your thoughts on privacy and security of data? Obviously, anytime you're dealing with sensitive matters like your bank accounts, there will be some trepidation, I suppose, about entering your um, account numbers and and whatnot. So I'm I'm keen on your view on the sense of how it's all protected, encrypted, and and in, you know give people a level of comfort that all of their information is stored safely. Sure. So open banking sort of is really designed to to remove that. It uses a different authentication method that's what's been available previously. So just for a bit of context, the uh, fintech ecosystem has kind of been uh, predicated or developed on, I guess, a a bit of a Band-Aid solution that's colloquially known as screen scraping. And as you say, that does involve Mm. a consumer sharing their online um, banking credentials um, to link their bank account with a particular app or with a particular particular service. Yes. Yep. And that falls into a, a bit of a gray area. I've, I've worked on that side of the fence and um, now I'm, I'm sort of working more with open banking data. But, um, you know, screen scraping, like I say, has underpinned the fintech ecosystem largely for the simple reason that it's been the only way that consumers have been able to share their data and benefit from these types of apps. Okay, so we're sort of on this shift at the moment, moving away from the old world into open banking, which you know is regulated, is a legitimate way of doing it, is far safer, removes the need for sharing your online banking credentials. You mentioned uh, you obviously you've got there's a consumer side uh, to follow, and there's now a, there's a B two B side. Um, who are some of the clients, that you, your customers that you are working with? We've got a pretty good, pretty interesting list. And I'll, I'll perhaps just explain the type of services that we, we offer to these guys, and then I'll, I'll break it down into some of the customers that we're, we're working with. And one of the things that's unique about Frollo in this space is that we are able to provide very much an end-to-end solution. So mm-hmm. we're talking a lot about open banking, and open banking is really a way of ingesting data or a way of a consumer sharing their own data. So we, we do offer that. And there might be um, big four banks that we work with to provide that service. There might be other fintechs that we work with to provide that service. But because we've built this sort of platform with this ecosystem of features and functionality around the money management um, theme, we've got all of these different features. It could be um, budgeting, budgeting tools. It could be goal-saving tools, bill-tracking tools, and things like that. We also are pretty good at enriching data as well. So it's one thing getting the data in from the bank but then being able to put it into the right category to provide these meaningful insights to consumers is is key to the piece as well. So we can provide all of these things individually, or we could do the whole shooting match all in in one go. And that's what we do for a number of banks and and mutual banks as well. So we might build an entire app for them that provides 
um, the uh, data ingestion, the enrichment or categorization of that data, and all of the money management features, and the provision of an app as well. So it's really a, a holistic sort of end-to-end financial tool that a bank, if they don't want to build it themselves, can come to Frollo and we can put that in the hands of their customers fairly quickly, leveraging all of the expertise and experience that we've had over the last five years in, in building out consumer apps and understanding what consumers respond well to when it comes to their finances. Um, as, a, as a business that's been going five, five or six years in the financial services industry, has it been hard to build credibility, trust, and legitimacy in in that space. I'm I'm keen to know some of some of the journey as you've grown the business, and to because now you, you are you are you are working with some of the uh, the big players. But obviously, you know, starting from from scratch, that's that's a very big mountain to climb. Absolutely right, and yep, you're you're absolutely right. I think the I think the thing to remember, or one of the things to consider, is there's been a real I don't know if golden age is the right word, but there's been a really brilliant, burgeoning few years, probably 2017 to 2020 in the in the fintech community in Australia. So fintechs have sort of burst onto the scene, um, largely on the back of what's been happening elsewhere, where globally, but Australians have really sort of taken to it. And we've had some absolute success stories. So I think there's always been a sort of willing and interesting audience. The level of innovation that's been going on over the last five years in Australian fintech has been absolutely astounding. We've got some market leading sectors, some market leading companies. And I think that sort of paved the way. People have sort of looked to success that similar companies have had overseas and, and looked at Australian fintechs with um, definitely um, open arms and, and looked to embrace them and, and take on what they can offer. I think there's in certain segments, there's perhaps a um, has been a, a slight reticence and nervousness. I mean, the Australian banking sector um, is highly innovative in some parts and, and perhaps a bit less so in others. Um, mm-hmm. so there, you know, there's different conversations you have across different banks and, and different institutions. But I think ultimately, there's um, a consumer focus across all Australian financial institutions. And when they see the kind of, I guess, the loyalty and the engagement that we're able to demonstrate, they've sort of definitely welcomed um, companies or, or solutions like Frollo into the mix to at least have discussions. But you're absolutely right. That sort of journey from um, zero to one, no customers to one customer, and then leveraging that enterprise customer to go out and win others is, is definitely part of the challenge and, and part of the journey. I don't think anyone would say it would has been easy. I think Gareth absolutely <laughs> would say it's definitely not been easy. But, um, you know, you, you, right. you go on the pavement and you, and you, and you hustle and, um, you know, it, uh, it it pays dividends eventually. What's the um, what's the ownership structure of Frollo? Who who owns it? So we're owned by a company called NextGen. Um, NextGen mm-hmm. are a mortgage software platform, um, particularly in the broker space, or they dominate in the the broker space, and they mm-hmm. acquired Frollo in. I want to say March or April 2020. So sort mm-hmm. of on the cusp of the the, the pandemic. And yes. really what they saw was the market leadership position that Frollo had in open banking. And yep. they recognized that that would be um, an absolutely essential service or an essential facet to their overall solution. And um, I think there's been a lot of activity and a lot of um, acquisition activity by larger companies of organizations like Frollo globally. So I think they um, quite rightly um, 
decided to, to take action, take action quickly. It was a great outcome for both parties because um, NextGen acquired an innovative software company that was leading the way in open banking. Yes. We effectively mm-hmm. did our open banking plumbing, for want of a better word. And then for Frollo, it has given us the, the backing to continue to develop and build out our open banking solutions and other solutions. Uh, open banking has been a fairly slow burn in Australia. Mm. I've been sort of working on open banking initiatives since 2017. And we're still in a position where here today in 2022, there's only sort of two or three live use cases of open banking in the Australian market today. Okay. So, um, well, you know, that's tell, us, tell us more about that. What, what, what does that actually mean? So, so that means for all the talk that's been going on about open banking, all of the uh, panel discussions and fireside chats <laughs> conferences around yes. open banking, yeah. all, all of the PR, um, all of the LinkedIn posts, there are actually only probably two or three places today where you can actually engage with open banking as a consumer. So you can mm. benefit from open banking in any meaningful way as a, as a consumer. Um, the follow-up being one of them. Um, I think we're responsible for somewhere in the region of 95% of all of the open banking API calls in Australia today. And that's a stat that sounds great, but actually it's not great for us because we want to be involved in an ecosystem where there's lots of players, there's more people engaging and consuming the data and passing that data on to their consumers. So we don't want to be the only ones at the party. Absolutely right. Yeah. So are there there, – competitors to follow in this space, both both here and particularly overseas, or are you sort of flying the flag on your own out there and you're only you're the only ones in the in that sector? Look, there's there's a there's a lot of competitors. Um, there's mm-hmm. uh, people are looking to 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 um, what has happened overseas. So as I said, the UK market is um, a lot more mature than the Australian market. They're about two years ahead of us. They had a slightly yes. different piece of legislation. So they actually already have open banking payments. Um, in countries like um, the US and India and also Brazil, there's open banking in various forms um, that's sort of going going fairly well. I think probably we're in Australia maybe a little bit slower to move than some of those countries have have been, um, but you know that's probably a separate conversation. But no, there's definitely local competitors. There's international competitors. Um, we we've got this sort of first mover advantage because we participated yes. yep. in the ACCC's pilot program. So there was an open banking mm. um, pilot program where ten companies were able to to get involved and sort of help shape the ecosystem. Um, and Frollo was fortunate enough to be one of those. So that's what's given us a bit of a, a head start on our competitors. But we'll be, we'll be joined very quickly, which will be good by um, other competitors because that will mean that yep. there's more people participating yeah. in open banking. And, um, you know, there's some international players, some really successful international players who are um, embedded over here now and will um, start doing open banking fairly soon. So, um, yeah, no, it's a pretty pretty hot space at the moment. Um, and some of the uh, some of the valuations knocking around are pretty hot as well. Mm. There's a new government in Canberra, um, change of government, uh, and fresh ministers just getting familiar with portfolios. If you had, say, some time with uh, with the new minister, uh, what would be some of the things you would like to talk to them about and, and bring up in that meeting? I think one of the main ones, so I think on both sides, uh, from what I understand, certainly the outgoing minister was extremely good and positive for the fintech community. They really sort of got got tech and really supported it. And actually, I think the incoming minister is exactly the same, has a very good yeah. reputation and very supportive of the, of the tech sector. The one thing I would call out or I'd request from them is 
to perhaps put a bit more um, investment, time and resources into educating consumers or helping financial institutions educate their consumers about the benefits of open banking. So I think, Mm. you know, it probably needs to be triangulated in that the financial institutions providing the services need to educate us in the fintech community. The innovators need to continue to educate. And we're sort of probably punching a bit of our weight and carrying the majority of the burden on that. And I think that probably the government needs to um, step in and, and perhaps do a little bit more in that regard as well. So that's definitely, definitely an opportunity there. I would agree with that. Well, well, Ben, what's next for Frollo? That's that's probably a, a, a big uh, a big question for you. But what does say the rest of 2022, but, but also more importantly, beyond look like for for the business for Frollo? Well, we, we, I would say that open banking probably has had more or as much meaningful activity in the last maybe three to six months as it's had in the previous sort of 18 months before that. Not to say that there wasn't a huge amount of work going on behind the scenes, but in terms of frontline activity and um, more participants looking to get involved and, and seriously and meaningfully looking to get involved has happened with a slight relaxing of some of the accreditation rules, which um, has allowed more people to, to get involved more cheaply, more quickly. Um, So we're continuing to look to serve high quality fintechs, um, financial institutions, mutual banks, Justin, um, and Mm -hmm. uh, take advantage of this growth space. And then the other thing that we're sort of focused on or or just exploring at the moment is how can we do more with the consumer app to deliver more value and more utility to our customers? What does PFM, you know, if we're at PFM 1.0 or 2.0 at the moment, what does PFM 3.0 look like? So what can we put in these apps to really start to, like I say, eliminate some of that friction, friction that we spoke about before and provide other forms of utility possibly gamification, possibly enhanced um, engagement into um, the app to benefit consumers' day-to-day financial lives. That's what we're focusing on. Well, Ben, it's been great hearing your insights today. It's a real pleasure having you on the program, and we wish you all the very best in the future. Ben Ford, Head of Growth from Frollo, thanks for coming on to The Unicorns. Thanks for having me, Justin. 